Welcome back to the MMA Meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast where we talk all things MMA and it's been a while, right? I guess I took some time off a lot from school because especially this week or last week, should I say, I was hammered with studying and exams all throughout the week and we just hit 100,000 subscribers last week or so and I just want to make a brief. I thank you guys so much. I mean, I really appreciate it. It still doesn't seem real that I actually hit 100,000 subscribers because I think I already mentioned why and how I started this whole thing and what my aspirations were in the beginning, which was pretty much nothing besides uh, putting out that first breakdown of Amanda Nunes and Ronda Rousey and just hoping people would see it, if not whatever, and just really just get my thoughts out on that specific breakdown and it just started carrying on. And I was able to do this for you guys and it's really fun too. So so I thank you guys so much for the support. I thank you guys so much for the feedback you guys have given me. I mean, it wasn't just me coming up with ideas for the channel and making things better. You guys, I, I love when you guys give me feedback. Even if some people think of it as quote unquote negative, I do like that kind of feedback as well because it helps me grow, helps the channel grow, it helps the quality get better, all that sort of stuff. So the channel has been growing growing a lot. I've been working with my editing. I've been working with my breakdowns, my analysis, looking at things, learning new things. And the stuff you guys bring to me is helping me as well. So I thank you guys so much, especially for that too. But there's still a lot more to come and a lot more ideas I'm coming up with. I really, really want to start doing the fight companion thing, quote unquote fight companion. I know that's not what I can call it, but that's one of my main focuses I want to get on right now. And thank you to my Patreon. I'm able to get some more cameras. I actually got some the other day so I can start getting ready for that stuff. And my plan for that is... I actually want to do it for every single card. I know I can't do it for every single card. There's always going to be stuff getting in the way, of course. Sometimes, like the last card, I missed most of the card because of some family obligations. So, of course, I can't be able to do it every single weekend, but I'm going to try to do so. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Hang back. Have fun. Talk about the fights. You guys could probably see how I think when I'm watching fights because I do get a lot of my analysis from watching it live. So maybe you guys are going to be able to see that. And all that sort of stuff and people I bring on and, you know, it's going to be a more consistent, fun, laid back experience, I would say. That's one of my focuses to do this year. But what's been happening in the MMA world, man, I mean, it's been going crazy. The GSP retirement, which is amazing, is the greatest of all time. I would love to debate people on that, even though it is a subjective topic. People say John Jones, people say Anderson Silva, and it really all comes down to the criteria I think of greatest of all time probably in a different way than other people think greatest of all time. I look at like the whole package and the most important thing on that criteria, in my opinion, is competition as well as PED usage. So that's why if John Jones never tested positive for PEDs, I would say he's probably the greatest of all time. But the fact that he did, in my opinion, in my list, I can't put him as the greatest, so I have to put GSP. And GSP has accomplished so many things, right? Two division champion, hasn't lost in forever, avenged every loss he's ever had, and in that, he has beaten every single fighter he's ever faced, as well as the most title defenses in the welterweight division. He has the most title wins in UFC history. I mean, he's holding records left and right, as well as beating some stellar competition. It's arguable between who has a better competition, him or John Jones. You could probably say John Jones, but there's something I want to argue that's against Jones' competition level. And it's that the early on stretch, you know, the Quinn Jacksons, the Shogun was, the Rashad Evans, the Vitors, all those guys. How do they compare to his later opponents? I think guys like Gustafson and Daniel Cormier are much better, much harder competition than his earlier opponents right? More than Quentin Jackson, more than all those guys. And I do know people like to argue for John Jones that even if he didn't take PEDs, he would be the greatest of all time. But there's no evidence to that, really. If there is any evidence, it shows that he doesn't perform to this level when we are 100% sure he's off of everything. When there's very little speculation and there is nothing that got caught, right? In this last Daniel Cormier fight, unfortunately, he got caught with something or something was in his system. When he fought OSP, there was nothing in his system. We pretty much knew he was clean in that fight. He didn't even fight up to the level when he faced uh, Daniel Cormier. Maybe that has to do with him having a short notice opponent, couldn't plan for him or anything. But we saw him not compete physically on that level. And because he couldn't compete physically on the level he usually does fight at, there could be an argument that the PDs don't necessarily help him as much physically as much as it helps him probably mentally. And that is the thing that throws everything into confusion and questions a lot right? So the people that say that John Jones will be the greatest, even if he didn't take PEDs, he's the greatest of all time. You don't really know that because he might not fight the same. 
He might not have the confidence. He might not be comfortable and confident without anything. And this is just a theory. I'm not saying this is what it is, but it can 100% be true too. So maybe physically he would be the same, but mentally inside the fights without taking anything, he could be a different fighter entirely. And I think some people are seeing that a little bit short-sighted. They see only the physical aspect instead of the mental aspects, as well as the training. When you take stuff, training gets easier. And you can train longer, you can train more often, you don't get as injured, you recover better, you don't take as much damage, all that stuff. So it can also help in the process of getting to the fight, as well as being mentally confident or sometimes even overconfident in the fight. And that is the biggest part for me that throws John Jones out of it. it. It isn't as much the physical aspect. It's more of what are the mental benefits that the PEDs can give him. And the mental aspect is the most important aspect. It's way more important than the physical. And the fact that there is reason to speculate, it throws John Jones out of the question. And that is the reason why you can't have John Jones as the greatest of all time. You gotta see how he competes when there is nothing in his system with all the drug tests. I'm glad he's trying to fight often. He's fighting Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos, man. Tiago Santos coming off that amazing win over Jan Blachowicz. I want to get into that a little bit more, but maybe if he beats Anthony Smith, you can't overlook Anthony Smith. He's a very dangerous opponent with nothing to lose. He has a rocky story in the brewing here, and if he's able to beat a guy like John Jones, it's going to be crazy. To be honest, though, I will not be surprised if he does catch Jones. I will not be surprised. And I understand Jones is a better fighter. He's more skilled. He's more technical. He's bigger. But there's just that feeling you have sometimes, man. When these kind of fights come up out of nowhere, and it's this guy who's been fighting forever. He's lost a bunch. He's won a bunch. He's been in and out. Has nothing to lose. And a very dangerous opponent who is going to be willing to catch Jones at any opportunity. It's going to be very interesting. And he's a big guy as well for the for light heavyweight division. But let's say he beats I got like Anthony Smith, he goes and fights Diego Santos next early, and then maybe fights Daniel Cormier whenever Cormier is injury-free, I guess. I don't know. But Jones has a redemption story, a redemption path he can actually take. Beating guys like Smith, beating Santos, if he goes out there and beats Dominic Reyes, and then he goes out there and beats Johnny Walker later in his career, and then let's say he goes out and beats Daniel Cormier again, I mean... I think that will wash away the PED usage in the past if he doesn't test positive anymore. But there's so much shade going on over there. It's hard to overlook it right now. But that Thiago Santos-Jan Blahowicz fight was crazy, man. It was crazy. I thought Jan was going to win. And it was going the way I thought it was going to go. I thought Jan was going to keep the calm pace. You know, just keep a constant pace on Thiago Santos and not rush anything until he did rush. I mean, I think he lost the first round. It was close. I think he won the second round. It was close. Tiago Santos is doing a very good job of not exploding too much, except countering. He threw that check left hook dozens of times in the fight before he caught him with it. And then out of nowhere in the third round, someone on Twitter told me it could have been a game plan. And that could be true. I mean, it's logical, right? Their game plan might have been just take it easy for the first two rounds because Santos is a very dangerous fighter. And then in the third round, pick up the pace. But he picked up the pace very frantically right off the bat. I mean, he came out there and started throwing these long uppercuts and stuff, and he just continued his combo. If he stopped with that uppercut and threw like a left hand afterward or something, I think it was a right uppercut, right? Followed up with the left hand and exited away. I think he would have been safe, but he continued the combination and just fell right into the, the check hooks of Tiago Santos, the punch that Santos throwing the whole fight at him. It's like, how did you just get caught with this and you saw it the whole fight and you evaded it the whole fight? You know, I think it was... A big mistake from Jan. He ran right into the brick wall that is Thiago Santos. That brick wall has a bunch of dynamite on it. And he just blew away Jan quickly. So it's a great run for Thiago Santos. And isn't it crazy? These middleweights who weren't doing that well in that division are like the top guys in the light heavyweight division. Does that say how much better these middleweights are than the light heavyweights in general? I mean, Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos, they didn't really get anywhere in the middleweight division, right? They they had like a stretch and then you got like Thiago Santos losing to Gegard Musasi before Musasi was a top ranked opponent. And he got knocked out by David Branch, who's a jiu-jitsu guy. And Anthony Smith lost a bunch of times there. He almost lost to Hector Lombard, who was a welterweight. And then in the light heavyweight division, they're just like steamrolling everybody. I don't want to be disrespectful, but if you look at it in reality, it probably just shows how shallow that light heavyweight division really is. As well as it could be that these guys are more powerful, they have better cardio, they feel better in there because they're not cutting all that weight for the middleweight division. Tiago Santos isn't the biggest guy, right? He's, I think, a little bit below average for a light heavyweight. Anthony Smith is a big guy, but it looks like they could take punches better. They're a lot more calm. Their cardio is better. They're able to pace themselves a lot better than ever before. So I'm curious to see where this division is going to go, especially with Johnny Walker. John Walker is the guy. Dominic Reyes is also the guy. Those two guys, even Daniel Cormier has noticed them. 
those two guys might be dangerous for John Jones in the future. But yeah, man, and I already covered the Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway thing. If you guys haven't checked that video out, I go and give all my thoughts about it. It's just... I kind of agree with Habib what he said after. He said Tony Ferguson missed the shot. He turned on the fight. He didn't take the opportunity. And he said about himself that whenever he lost a chance to get a title shot, he didn't really dwell on it. He kind of just said, I got to take another fight and just get this title fight back. And that's what Tony Ferguson's going to have to do. I mean, Tony has gone so far, beating so many fighters, beating some of the best fighters in the world to gain interim belts and stuff, to then just start turning down fights against guys like Max Holloway of all people, even though he called him out, which is weird. That's the weird part. I understand maybe if he turned it down because his interim belly doesn't want to be in that whole situation again. But you kind of call the guy out. I don't know if he called him out in the 155-pound division or the 145-pound division. But you call the guy out, they gave you him, and then you turn it down. Like, that's kind of weird, right? And I actually favor Tony Ferguson to win that fight. Pretty confidently. I think it'd be a close fight. But I don't think there's anything Max Howard can really do to really threaten Tony Ferguson. I think Ferguson is better than Holloway in most areas. Right, and he's bigger, he's much longer, all that stuff, right? And Max Hall is not really that power puncher to really hurt Tony Ferguson. And if you're not able to hurt Ferguson and your way of hurting opponents is by volume, that's just horrible to fight a guy like Tony Ferguson. Because you're not gonna outpace him. He's as ferocious as it gets, his output's insane, and he's a big guy and he has power himself. So it's it's hard. It's really hard to fight him that way. It turns out Dylan Danis finally got his suspension, seven months. $7,500. Oh, and I do love the fight Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gaslam. I love that fight, man. And the interim belt, it makes sense. I mean, Robert Whitaker is injured again. We don't know when he's going to come back. That's the time the interim belt makes sense. I understand the interim belt maybe because Habib is suspended, but not having Ferguson in there. I mean, I think Ferguson is a priority, right? Ferguson fighting for the number one contender spot is a priority over the interim belt. But the middleweight division, I think, needs it right now. And Kelvin versus Adesanya is a good fight, but some of you guys disagree, but I have seen that a lot of you guys do agree that Adesanya should win this fight. He has so many advantages, much better striker, much longer, much taller, faster. Takedown defense is too good for Kelvin Gaslam's takedowns. His distance work is just going to keep Kelvin Gaslam at bay. I don't see how Kelvin's going to get in on Adesanya. I really don't. He fights only southpaw, and he really only throws like four punches for the most part. His kicks are going to be countered all day. And I just don't see Adesanya getting hit by any of those punches. I really don't. I think he's just going to keep Kelvin at bay the whole fight. Maybe gassing him out with the volume and eventually TKOing him. But I see a decision win for Adesanya. And then we finally get that Robert Whitaker versus Adesanya fight, which is the biggest fight in this division, I believe. So I know you guys have a lot of questions, so let's get right to the questions here. While I'm looking for the questions, man, I've been listening to a lot of Hobson. Hobson's the truth, man. Just for anybody who listens to hip-hop. Other than guys like him, man, I can't listen to that genre anymore. I, it died to me. It does nothing for me anymore. I mean, I've been listening to raps ever since I was, like, born. I mean, my first song was a DMX song. And I'm actually glad because I was very ignorant to all the other genres. I listened to nothing else, man. I didn't know anything else besides rap, really. I mean, I can name many rappers I used to listen to, like guys like Black Thought, guys like Ari the Rugged Man, Nas and AZ are some of the best, I believe. Even guys like DMX. Scarface was underrated. Telequelli was amazing. I think Big L might be the best rapper I've ever listened to. Lyrically, I mean, that guy's an absolute genius. But that's the thing. The newer rappers, it doesn't really focus on the lyrics, doesn't really focus on the intelligence of the actual message you're getting across. It's just with the beats and stuff. Some of the beats are cool. For instance, the Sicko Mode by Travis Scott, the beat's actually pretty good, but it just gets boring. But there's some good guys today. Pusha T is one of my favorite rappers of all time. He's not really a new rapper, but he got famous recently he used to rap with his brother a long time ago you know there's guys like j cole's good j cole's pretty good drake i think is hugely overrated all right the first question charlie snowball would you eat dana's ass to see habib versus tony with yair versus abit as the comment event man i'll do anything <laughs> i'm desperate man i mean i wouldn't do anything because you can think of some weird stuff but can we just get tony versus habib man can we just get habib's suspension out of the way and get tony in there Ryan McConnell, would you slap Ngannou for $10,000? No, it's not just the fact he'll annihilate me with a punch. I wouldn't slap anybody, man. That's just disrespectful. I mean, $10,000 is $10,000, but nah. And that name. How big of a threat do you think Jeremy Stevens poses to Zabit? Okay, I understand. I have hyped up Zabit a lot. Um, I was one of the first ones with Luke Thomas, I believe, to hype up Zabit in the beginning. But do not get me wrong. This fight is not easy for Zabit. 
He should be able to win this fight because he has all the tools in the world. But Stevens is very good at intercepting opponents when they're trying to rotate or pivot and stuff and move away from him. And Stevens has a great chin, huge power, much more powerful than Zabitez. Decent takedown defense, and he has that presence, right? When Zabito was going after Kyle Bakniak, and Bakniak was able to walk him down because it was eating the shots and firing right back, it's going to be a lot harder to trade and stay in the pocket with Jeremy Stevens because of the small gloves, all that stuff. I understand he's going to be able to defend a lot of those shots, but with the small gloves, man, one shot from Jeremy Stevens is enough to put down anybody. It's going to be tough. And Stevens has great leg kicks. Very underrated leg kicks. I mean, he destroyed Gilbert Melendez's legs. Destroyed his stance, right? And Zabit doesn't really check kicks. So that's the biggest threat. He can't be in distance of Jeremy Stevens' shots. Stick behind a jab and I think side kicks. Side kicks going to be a big weapon against Jeremy Stevens. And check leg kicks. If you're not going to check them, man, you got to counter right back. But that's the thing. If you're going to counter right back, Stevens is right there to throw haymakers at you. Let's say you check a kick or you step into a kick and you want to throw a right hand, throw the right straight and left hook as you fade away. That's it. Do not stay in there with Jeremy Stevens because his haymakers are going to come so slow at you, right? So yeah, I think Jeremy Stevens poses a threat to Zabit. I think Zabit should win. If Jeremy Stevens wins, I think he's going to be losing the fight and just catch Zabit. One of those things. Almost like uh, Alexander Volkov versus Derek Lewis sort of thing. Then we go to Logan Scott. Number one, predictions for Adesanya against the top five at middleweight. All right, let me see the rankings. Top five. Okay, he is top five. So, Kelvin Gaslam beats him for the reasons I said before. Jaco Ray. I think he beats Jaco Ray. I don't think Jaco Ray has the, the speed or the combinations to mask in his takedowns. Because if he's going to shoot an open on Adesanya like that, he's not going to get them. He's too slow. He's too plodding. He's going to be way too far away. And his shots are never going to catch Adesanya. Those overhand rights, those hooks, just too far away, man. And they're too obvious. So I would say Adesanya. Luke Rockhold, I got Adesanya, man. This should be more so easy for him. There's too many openings. Luke Rockhold has too many openings to his defense. He doesn't have much variety in his striking. And he is a bit chinny, right? I think Adesanya should be able to hurt Rockhold with several shots. And eventually put him down. People will say, but Rockhold's such a good grappler. Yeah, but he's not going to take down Adesanya. Rockle is not as good of a wrestler as Derek Brunson is. He just isn't. He's a better grappler on the ground, but his means of getting it to the ground are even on the level of Derek Brunson's. Brunson's a way better wrestler than people think he is. I mean, he was out wrestling Yoel Romero a long time ago, right? He out wrestles most guys he fights, and he couldn't take down Adesanya. Yoel Romero, I got Romero. This is the only guy I think that can beat Adesanya convincingly. His wrestling is going to be a little bit much. His speed, his lolling style, his change of tempo would give Adesanya a different look that he hasn't seen before. And he's immensely powerful. I mean, one shot from Romero should be able to knock down Adesanya if not knock him out. Like any clean shot, he could find other stance as well. Very hard fight for Adesanya. Even the fact that he could switch stances in mid-combination will give Adesanya more trouble than anybody else in this division. Just in the striking, let alone his wrestling, right? He's just physically stronger. If he's able to grab onto Adesanya, which I think he can and I think he will because of his footwork and because of his movement, as well as the threat with his striking, I think he should be able to grab a hold of Adesanya eventually and take him right to the ground. Now, the difference between him and Jacare is Jacare doesn't have the movement. That's the thing. And he doesn't have the changing stances as well as he doesn't throw anything else besides that right overhand and just close range boxing attacks, right? It's just a lot more obvious. And then Robert Whitaker. I think this is a very even fight, to be honest. But I would go with Robert Whitaker. It can go Adesanya's way, man. It really can. If he can keep Whitaker at bay, I just don't think he would. I think Whitaker's paths of getting in on that reach are better than most of the guys in this division. I mean, he is very hard to keep away because he stays on the outside very far away like a karate fighter. And he blitzes in on you on these angles. Very slight angles. They aren't like Stephen Thompson or Dominic Cruz's angles. They're very slight angles he takes. Right, he's never coming down the center line every single time. It's just like a little bit off, right? He throws in that jab with it. He gets his head off the center line as he throws it. And then he measures after that, all that sort of stuff. And because of his ways of getting on the inside like that, he's going to give a guy like Adesanya problems. Him getting on the inside should be able to beat Adesanya. So I would go with Whitaker. And then number two, how do you think Kane will look after his long layoff? Okay, we run over that. So it's a older question number three when is another nightmare matchup video coming out yes um i want to bring that out by wednesday or thursday i'm gonna get out the prediction video first because it's an insane card this weekend so whenever a card's this amazing i want to get those out pretty early then i'll probably get out the nightmare matchup after that so wednesday thursday or friday be on the lookout for that shamambe 
225 pounds John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. <laughs> I know people are going to disagree with me on this. I'm going to go with Ngannou. I'm going to go with Ngannou. John Jones pretty much does weigh 225 pounds. Walking weight, right? He's going to be a bit smaller than Ngannou. And just like Cain Velasquez, just like Curtis Blades, just like Stipe a couple times, they're bigger than John Jones. And they still had a hard time of getting this guy to the ground. Most of the time, couldn't even get close to getting him to the ground. He's just so strong, man. And he has pretty good technique too. He's very quick in driving in underhooks. So that in itself is going to make it very hard for John Jones to catch him with a blast double or something like he did against Alexander Gustafsson. And not only that, Jones usually gets opponents to the ground through the clinch. And if he's going to get in the clinch with Ngannou, man, the strength is going to play such a big factor there. And to get in on that distance is going to be hard for Jones because he does have a reach advantage over Ngannou, which is crazy to think about. It's only one inch though. It's only one inch. It's virtually identical, right? So him able to catch Ngannou from a distance, Ngannou's going to be able to do the same. And I believe any shot from Ngannou will be able to hurt John Jones. I know Jones has an iron chin. His chin has taken some huge blows. Ngannou's a bit different. He's a bit different. I mean, look how easily he was able to drop Cain Velasquez. Look how easily he's able to drop Curtis Blades. He's just touching these guys with one shot and they're all crumbling under him. So even if Jones takes like one big blow from Ngannou, he will not be able to take another one. I guarantee that. I just think Ngannou's a bit too big. I think he's just too strong. His striking is going to be able to hit Jones from a distance as well. I think his boxing is going to be able to keep up with Jones. Jones kicking from a distance is also going to put him in jeopardy for getting hit with those uppercuts or those right overhands. We've seen him get hit before for throwing those light kicks when people are able to walk in on them. Like Lioro Machida, like Daniel Cormier a couple times. And you can't make one mistake like that with Francis Ngannou. So I'm going to go with Ngannou. Selicopter PC, number one, most intimidating looking fighter in East Division. Um, I can't really give answers for that because none of them really look intimidating to me. So, I don't know. This is an interesting one. Number two, top 15 featherweights versus top 15 lightweights, respectfully, to their rankings. Oliveira versus Kelvin Cater. I always stick with Oliveira. Jiu-Jitsu is just way too much. He'll be able to take him to the ground. James Vick versus Darren Elkins. I'll go James Vick. Too big. Striking's too good. Nate Diaz versus Zabit, I'll go Zabit. Light kicks for days, too many weapons, wrestling, great jiu-jitsu, and he's a big guy as well. I think he's taller than Nate too. Alexander Hernandez versus Chan Song Jung. I'll go with Korean Zombie. I think his striking is just way too much. And even if he gets taken down, he'll be able to submit Hernandez. Gregor Gillespie versus Yair Rodriguez. Oh, I'll go Gregor Gillespie, man. That would be a mauling. That'll be the Frankie Edgar fight times three. Paul Felder versus Ricardo Lamas. Ooh, that's interesting. I would go with Paul Felder. He's just too big. Donald Cerrone versus Josh Emmett. I'll go with Cerrone, but it'd be a hard one. I think head kicks will eventually finish the shorter Josh Emmett. And even if he gets taken to the ground, his submissions are insane. Anthony Pettis versus Mursad Bektik. I'll go with Mursad Bektik. I think the wrestling will win him a decision. Justin Gaethje versus Cub Swanson. I got Gaethje knocking out Swanson. Swanson's chin is just not the same anymore. Edson Barboza versus Jeremy Stevens. I'll go with Barboza. Yeah, I'll go with Barboza. I think Stevens will be a little bit too open. Kevin Lee versus Hinato Moicano. I'll go with Kevin Lee. His wrestling would win him that one. Striking will be close. He is a lot longer than Moicano is, but the wrestling will be enough. Eli Quinta versus Alexander Volkanovsky. That would be insane, man. Imagine that fight. There was no backing down from either of those guys. They're going to go right at each other the whole fight and love every minute of it. I would love to see this fight. That's a tough one, man. That can go either way, I think. But if I have to say, I would go with Iaquinta. I'll go with Iaquinta because he does have better boxing. But something tells me Volkanovski can catch him a couple times because of his speed advantage and how fast he's able to get in an Iaquinta. And his wrestling is a threat as well. So it can go either way, but I'll go with Iaquinta. Dustin Poirier versus Frankie Edgar. I'll go Dustin Poirier. He has too many weapons. Much more powerful. Frankie's just too small as well. Even if, even if Dustin Poirier gets taken to the ground, his submissions are good. His BJJ is good in general. He'll be able to get up back to his feet. Conor McGregor versus Brian Ortega. I got Conor. He'll knock out Ortega. Ortega's way too open, man. Just four or five left hands in a row like that. I think he'll be able to put down Ortega. Tony Ferguson versus Jose Aldo. I got Ferguson. That would be bad. That would be like what Max Holloway did to him in the rematch. Would just give Max Holloway like some steroids or something. Habib versus Max Holloway. I think Habib wins this fight. I think he actually dominates Holloway. I know people will think, how could you think that it's Holloway? He has good takedown defense. He has much better striking. He's big as well. I don't think his takedown defense will be enough. And if he gets to the ground, I think Habib does what he wants to Holloway. So that was an interesting question. Love your content. Never really been a podcast guy, but I find myself easily listening to yours in a sitting. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, man. I'm trying to do some things to make this better. That's how I was thinking of the live stream. So leave a comment below. Would you guys like it to be a live stream? 
it'll be a little bit different. I, I won't be able to do like uh, this sort of format with the pictures and stuff. I'll still be able to show the comments and your guys' questions. You'll see my monitor and you'll be able to see like me scroll through things. Johan G, where does Aldo rank in the GOAT discussion or ranking? Aldo is definitely one of the greatest of all time. He's definitely top 10. I think he's top 7. He's the greatest featherweight of all time. He has been some crazy competition. He has the most title defenses in featherweight history. And we're talking about the featherweight division, which is what second hardest division to ever come by. So that's a feather in his cap or one of the hardest divisions to, to be that successful. I mean, if we look at his record, you know, he beat Cub Swanson, Mike Brown, Uriah Faber, Mark Hominick, Kenny Florian, Chad Mendez, Frankie Yeager, Korean Zombie, Ricardo Lamas, Chad Mendez again in his prime. Lost to Conor McGregor. Beat Frankie a second time. That's the craziest thing. He beat Frankie twice. And he beat him even more convincingly the second time where people thought Edgar was better than ever. And people thought Aldo was out of it from the Conor fight. And then he lost twice to Holloway. But the first fight was a lot closer, right? First fight, he actually won two rounds. And he's actually the first guy to stun Max Holloway. There's a feather in his cap in that, but the rematch was was pretty ugly. And then he goes and TKO's Jeremy Stevens and Hanato Moicano. So he's even fighting the newer guys like Moicano. And beating those guys easily, too. Definitely one of the greatest of all time. I mean, if you look at it, it's subjective. So you got GSP, John Jones. So if you include guys like Jones and Silva, you do got GSP, John Jones, and Anderson Silva above him. You probably put him... Do you put him Fedor above him? That's tough because the heavyweight division, yes, it, it scales and the spectrum of weight is all over the place, which brings a good argument for Fedor, but they're not nearly as technical as the featherweight division is, right? Yeah, they're more dangerous. They can knock you on and stuff. But in the featherweight division, you got to be a lot more technical. I don't know. It's tough because Josie Aldo also has all those title defenses. He's beaten so many good fighters. So with Fader, I think it's arguable. With Stipe, I think it's arguable. Do you put Daniel Cormier above him? You can, yeah. So not too many guys. I mean, who else do you put? Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about him. Other than that, nobody else can be above him. So the guys who are definitely above him are GSP, John Jones, Anderson Silva, and Demetrius Johnson. The other three, Cormier, Stipe, and Fedor, iffy. It's iffy to put them above him. So that's how great Josie Aldo is. And we're talking about the best anti-wrestler in the game ever, ever. There's nobody else who is able to beat wrestlers as easily as Josie Aldo is. The way Josie Aldo is able to. He's able to shut down everybody's wrestling game. And we're talking about some of the best wrestlers to compete. In my opinion, I would put GSP, Jones, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson above Josie Aldo. And this is just my opinion. I'll put... DC above him even though it'll go back and forth in my head and then I'll put Aldo and then I'll put Fedor and then Fedor and Stipe are interchangeable I think I'd probably put Stipe above Fedor but it's tough so I would rank Josie Aldo like sixth greatest of all time then we go to Daniel Elvis who would win in a second fight Max or Connor and what do you think of Johnny Walker's technique I would favor Max I would favor Max I think he would smother Connor first round will be tough but after that first round I don't think Connor will be able to knock out Max Holloway at all I don't think he'll be able to catch him too many times, in fact. I think Max's defense is just way too good. His movement's too good. He's going to be bigger than Connor in there. And be able to take a lot more shots in the lightweight division. And his output will be way too much for Connor McGregor. Connor loves to benefit from the opposite stance advantages that he has. And Max Holloway is the type of fighter who can take that away from you just by switching constantly. And his volume combinations come out of nowhere sometimes. They're lengthened. So his punch count in the combination can really deter some of Connor's uh, opportunities and the striking. So if Connor's trying to look to trap the lead hand of Max Holloway, if Holloway takes an orthodox stance, Holloway can easily pump out some jab or some fake just to bait Connor, as well as switch stances after that, throw like a short right hook as he takes a southpaw stance so it's more open on Connor McGregor, or potentially look out for the left hand afterward, duck under it, block it, and get on the inside with his left hand, which is the power hand. You know, he could do a lot of stuff like that. And him switching southpaw, he could throw leg kicks at Conor. He could throw different kind of kicks. Just give many different looks on Conor McGregor that, he's, that he did not see in the first fight at all. And Max has such great defense, especially in the boxing. Conor loves to linger out his punches after he throws them. Once Conor misses a punch, Holloway's going to be able to get in like three, four punches on Conor McGregor in a combination. And that's just going to add damage and just gas out Conor constantly. So... Yeah, I think Max may be a little bit too much for Conor McGregor. And Johnny Walker's technique, it, it's a bit wild. It really is. It's not going to work on everybody. You know, guys like Jones, guys like Gustafson, those wild back fists and hook kicks and spinning kicks and haymakers and stuff. It's going to be hard to catch some of the more technical guys in there. And especially the longer guys. 
It's wild, it's effective right now, but I think he needs to start tightening things up a little bit, as well as he can mix up some of that wild stuff in there, but it would make it a lot harder to deal with if he makes everything a little bit more tight. Then we go to Emerald. How would elite-level UFC lightweight like Habib perform against a mediocre-level heavyweight MMA fighters like Strongman? Uh, can I pronounce that name? I'm going to try it, though. Marius... Pudzianowski. How does he stand a chance against guys like him or Marius' strength plus his average skills would overwhelm Khabib? Um, I have no idea who this guy is. I have to take a look. Oh, I know this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's super powerful. I think Khabib can definitely win against these guys. It would take the right kind of game plan, the right kind of approach. He cannot fight head on with these guys the way he does. He can't walk down a guy like Marius in, in this case, the way he walked down Conor McGregor or something. Of course, a jab would be a weapon, speed would be a weapon, and trying to gas out this guy. That's usually the game plan you want to go by when you're fighting a bigger, stronger person. Use your speed, get shots if you see them. You don't want to force openings and try to gas them out. Now, the problem with Habib specifically is it's hard for him to grapple and wrestle with bigger guys because size is more of an advantage in the wrestling and grappling than it is in the striking. The fact they're able to hold on to each other for long periods of time, the stronger guy's going to have an advantage because of that. But what I saw from specifically Marius is he is so open to arm bars, it's crazy. So I think Habib can catch Marius on the ground with an arm bar or some kind of submission. I think Habib is very crafty on the ground. I think Marius won't be able to catch Habib with too many shots when Habib's on his back. And if he's able to take down Marius, Marius is going to be in huge trouble. Shots, yes, are going to be able to land, but he's going to be able to catch some submissions, get some openings on Marius. And the fact that Marius is going to be on his back is going to gas him out a lot more. A lot more. So Habib definitely could beat guys like this. Of course, it all depends on their style. all depends on what they do. I think a guy like Conor McGregor or someone is a lot more swift on their feet with great power in their shots who are really good with their footwork as well as good takedown defense and knows how to get off from the bottom. Those kind of guys are going to do a lot better, I think, against bigger fighters because they can avoid the bigger man at all times as well as pick shots from a distance and all that stuff. And because they're picking shots constantly like that and moving in and out, they're making the bigger man chase them. If they're not going to chase them, they're not going to get anywhere near the smaller guy, right? And you can start picking shots from the outside again. Um, the problem with Conor McGregor is he also gasses out. But that sort of style is a lot better. Um, Habib's also not a small guy. If he's going to be fighting a guy the size of Marius, a heavyweight, Habib is going to let his weight go a little bit. I think he will get above 200 pounds, so he's not a small guy. So I think he's going to be able to do some stuff with his strength as well. I think Habib could beat him. I think some of the lightweights could beat some of the lower level heavyweights. It just depends on the right game plan as well as the style. We're going to Nick Lee. How would MVP do in the UFC? I mean, after seeing that Paul Daly fight, not too good, man. His takedown defense, especially chain wrestling, is lacking is an understatement. Like, it's not there. It's like almost non-existent. I mean, if Paul Daly's chain wrestling you, what do you think Damian Maya is going to do? What do you think Tyron Woodley's going to do? What do you think Ben Askren's going to do? What do you even think guys like Darren Till are, are going to do to you? I mean, if Paul Daly's taking you down, Darren Till will be able to take you to the ground as well. If it's that easy for Paul Daly, yeah, he's going to have a problem. His striking's a problem, though. Don't get me wrong. His striking is going to give a lot of people problems. But he just doesn't have to take down defense. That's all it is. And I think it has a lot to do with he isn't fighting the high competition, high-level competition. He isn't fighting great wrestlers. Paul Daly's the probably the best wrestler, one of the best wrestlers he's ever fought, which is crazy to think about. And look how easy it was for him. I mean, when you face low-level competition for this long in your career, you get used to it. You don't just get used to the fights. You get used to the preparation for this level of competition. Some people get cocky. Some people get overconfident. Some people think they don't have to work on things as much as other fighters are working because they're facing lower-level competition. They don't feel it like they have to work harder. Like, they don't know that extra level sometimes. Like, look at Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler used to get taken down in strike force a lot, right? He was getting submitted a lot. And because of him facing those guys and losing and getting taken down easily, he has developed in the UFC one of the best anti-wrestling games that I have ever seen. So his takedown defense gets so much better. He's felt it against everybody. Guys like Jacques Array, Jake Shields, all these guys. And it got to the point where guys like Johnny Hendricks couldn't take this guy to the ground that easily in the rematch. And Johnny Hendricks is a better wrestler than anybody Robbie Lawler has ever faced before that. So yeah, he doesn't do well, man. I think he loses to most of them, which is disappointing. I mean... I've wanted to see this guy in the UFC for a long time. He's not old or anything, but it seems like he's gotten used to this competition at Bellator. He's not even fighting the best guys at Bellator. He finally fought the first legitimate opponent that can give him problems. The guy gave him problems in the area nobody thought he would. 
Then we go to Sammy J. Jacare versus Adesanya. Kind of went over that. I think Adesanya wins. Wonderboy versus Ponzinibbio. Um, I actually think Wonderboy wins this one. I think Wonderboy is actually a harder fight for Ponzinibbio than Tyron Woodley is. Just stylistically, Ponzinibbio has a good wrestling defensive game. He has a great boxing and he is very good when he's pressuring opponents backwards. And Woodley kind of sits back. His right hand can give Ponzinibbio problems, but Ponzinibbio is very good at avoiding big shots from his opponent. He's very good at pulling on punches. Very good at drawing out strikes from his opponent, even against long fighters like Neil Magny. I think he gives Wonderboy a lot of problems, especially with light kicks and stuff, and working on the inside. But the movement of Wonderboy with the side kicks, especially, will give Ponzinibbio problems. And Ganu versus JDS, and Ganu obliterates him. No difficult. Then we go to, man, I always forgot to pronounce his name. Bossy. We'll go to Bossy. When I see your first name, I always think of Albanian because it looks like it would be an Albanian name. So I don't want to pronounce it wrong again. Ryan Hall versus Ortega. I'll go with Ortega because he has a better striker. And his jiu-jitsu, I think, is a little bit more dangerous than Ryan Hall's. Hall's is a lot more risky. And you want to put yourself at that much risk against Ortega, especially on the ground. MVP versus Adesanya. That's an interesting one. I think Adesanya, because he has a bigger fighter, he has a better grappling game, I think he could take down MVP. So I'd go with Adesanya. I think even in the striking, he'll be able to beat MVP. He is longer, a lot more fundamentally sound, and MVP really thrusts himself from a distance. And he'll be able to get counter from Adesanya. Right, MVP has that luxury in the welterweight division against much shorter competition to lunge in on them the way he does. He will not have that luxury against Adesanya at all. So distance fighting for MVP is going to be a problem. Jake Hager versus Brock Lesnar. I'll go with Brock Lesnar. He is bigger. I don't know who's a better wrestler collegiately. I think Hager is, right? I don't know, actually. But I think Lesnar has better striking, so I'll go with Lesnar. Maya versus Habib. I'll go with Habib. He makes it a standing fight and just beats up Maya. Do you think wrestlers learn jiu-jitsu easier, quicker than strikers? Yes. Since, like wrestling, it involves manipulation of the opponent's body. Yeah. Wrestlers can trick themselves into thinking like it's another form of wrestling, so not really trick themselves, but that's what it is kind of to them, right? Striking's a whole different world striking uses different bodily mechanics and just like you said you know it involves manipulation of the body constant grappling constant holding constant position work transitions all that sort of stuff so yeah do you agree that it's more likely for a ufc fighter who has ridiculously good wrestling to remain undefeated for their entire career more so than a ufc fighter with great striking evidently yes because in the wrestling and grappling it's less likely to get caught with something unexpected submissions let's say there's a process to them there's setups and stuff that you have to use to eventually get the submission right they say with a rear naked choke to get caught in a rear naked choke you have to have made like five different mistakes before you got caught and striking it's a little bit like that too but strikes come so quick it's hard to react to them as fast as you're able to react to grappling and stuff right they can come unexpected they can come out of nowhere and you get caught with something. That's why we've seen good strikers get knocked up by lesser strikers. But you will probably never see a high-level BJJ guy or high-level wrestler get beat in their discipline by a lower-level wrestler or grappler. There's never really that element of surprise like it is in striking. Make one wrong slip on the feet. One mistake. One mistake. And it can cost you the entire fight. One mistake in the wrestling or grappling won't necessarily make you lose the fight. It can sometimes if you make a huge mistake, like let's say Chael Sonnen versus Fedor, but that's like a major mistake. That was a major move he went for. That's almost like the equivalent of turning your back to your opponent in the striking. But like one small mistake in the striking, such as slipping the wrong way or slipping too early, can get you caught and knocked out. And that's like the equivalent in wrestling or grappling of... Not taking bicep control when you should have or not driving an underhook fast enough. Like you won't lose the fight necessarily because of that. But that will get you in a bad position. So because of that, good wrestlers, because they're not making so many mistakes, they're going to be able to get away with a lot more stuff on the ground without losing their fight. And when they're facing strikers, wrestlers have an advantage of dictating where the fight goes. They can make it go to the ground and now they have a huge advantage. So... They have an advantage over strikers to get it to the ground. And if they're facing a worse wrestler than them, they're most likely going to win that fight as well. But when you fight a guy like Jose Aldo, who has insane takedown defense, now you're in trouble. Now you have to try to strike with him. But even though you're a good wrestler and you have to strike now, because it's a striking match, if Jose Aldo makes one wrong mistake, slips too early, and you catch him with a right hook or something because of that, you win. So I do agree. Politically correct individual. How would Nick Newell do if everybody only had one arm? I don't know, man. A lot better. It's almost impossible to say because everybody will fight differently then. But definitely he would do better. Teron Morris. 
How can the UFC possibly justify not giving Marlon Moraes the next title shot after three first-round finishes? The only thing they could say is, we gotta do his Henry Cejudo fight because he just beat TJ and it's a bigger money fight than Marlon Moraes is. Is that really justifying it? In some ways. But that was the whole problem with this champ versus champ fight. Now, we got Marlon Moraes, who is the rightful number one contender. One of the most rightful number one contenders in the UFC right now, in their respective divisions. And if he doesn't get a title shot, man, I don't know. That's messed up. I think they should do this, have Cejudo fight Joseph Benavidez, and then bring Cejudo up. That's what I think should happen. Because Marlon Moraes is steamrolling everybody. He just beat the top contenders. Running links. Is there any fighter on the current UFC roster that has the potential to beat Mighty Mouse's title defense record? Uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Amanda Nunes, if she decides to keep fighting. Call me crazy, but I think John Jones will get beat before that's able to even come close to happening. Khabib has a possibility of making that happen. If he's able to beat Tony Ferguson, I just don't see who can beat him. It's hard to say, right? I mean, you got Justin Gacy who can probably knock out Khabib in the first two rounds because of his takedown defense, but I think he just wears out too quick, and I think Khabib's just way too smart. So Khabib has uh, he has potential. He has potential to do it if he fights often. And then again, he fought three times in nine months last year, so he can fight often. He just has to keep his body in check and not get suspended. You know, that's important too. Other than that, I don't see anybody doing it. I think Holloway will meet his match. I think TJ actually might lose a Marlon Marais or Henry Cejudo again. Cormier is going to retire, so that's not going to happen. I don't really see anybody else in the heavyweight division. Francis Ngannou, if he's able to beat Stipe, there's nobody beating Francis in the heavyweight division, I think. But will he be able to fight and defend his belt 12 times? That's going to be tough. Um, Whitaker, I think, will lose. I think all the other guys will lose in that division. It's too competitive. Welterweight division is going to be very competitive. Tyron Woodley does have a chance to get close. But I think he retires before that happens. You know, he doesn't fight often enough. You know, I think the younger guys will eventually catch up to him. Lewis Jones. Do you think Habib is prone to leg locks from Tony Ferguson because of how he tangles the legs? Interesting. I don't know. Has anybody ever gone for them against Habib? It's a risky move because you put Habib on top of you. If he's able to get out of that and get on top of you, you just put yourself in a dangerous position, even for Tony Ferguson. Because it's not going to be him getting back into your guard. He might get into side control or half guard. And those are Habib's most confident positions. And he's going to be able to smash you on top if you don't get in right. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I haven't seen anything that tells me he's prone to them. I think he's very quick and crafty on the ground to not get caught too easily by them. But tangling the legs, I don't think he has anything to do with it that much. Because he tangles them after he takes you to the ground and brings you to the cage and makes you like sit up against it. So there's no way to really get those leg locks. If DC beats Stipe again, Lesnar, John Jones twice a heavyweight, is the all-time GOAT. Yeah. DC, if he beats Stipe, Lesnar, and Jones twice a heavyweight, he's the greatest of all time. 100%. Joe Rogan versus Artem. Who wins? Oh, don't do this to me. Joe Rogan's a lot bigger. We have to give him that. You know, he weighs, how much does he weigh? Like 200? And they're about the same height. He is more powerful with his kicks. I think he's a better jiu-jitsu artist. Artem has more experience. Of course, he's probably going to be tougher. <laughs> it can go either way. And Joe Rogan's on TRT. One big kick from Rogan. I, I don't know if Artem's going to be able to take one of those. Honestly speaking, I don't think many guys, not just Artem. I'm talking about most guys are not going to be able to take a big kick from Joe Rogan. I think one quick turning side kick and Artem might be on the ground. But Artem might pressure him too much, just box with him too much, catch him on the feet and stuff. It's hard to say, man. It's hard to say. Outside with Artem with the experience, though. Great content, Weasel. Love the channel. Keep it up, bro. Thank you so much, man. Sellosai. Do you think fighters are using your breakdowns to game plan for their opponent? I don't know, man. If they are, I'm really grateful. I have gotten some of them shout out and shared on social media and stuff from some fighters. But are they using them? I don't know. It's hard to tell unless they're saying it. Jimmy Jimmy. What is the biggest flaw each individual champion needs to fix in their game? Daniel Corbin has to stop constantly with every threat. He has to stop leaning to his right. John Jones has to pick and choose whenever he posts on his opponent because even though it's working, it's eventually going to get sawed out, right? And once that gets sawed out, what does he have left to defend himself from boxing? You know, even against Gustafson in the last fight, he did have some problems there and he was exposing himself sometimes. Gustafson never took those openings, but they were very open. I was watching with my cousin who boxed and he was like, how is a guy like Gustafson not catching Jones doing this? Jones was throwing these right hands. He was missing a couple shots. He was leaving his chin exposed and he was like right in boxing distance. And you know, just the boxing defense in general is a big thing for uh, John Jones to work on overall, but just the post have more 
options, right? More things to work on and build them into his muscle memory. Other than that, man, he's like perfect. Robert Whitaker, when he exits the pocket, he has to stop dropping his hands. That's a big one. Tyron Woodley, I mean, he did have that big flaw of keeping himself on the cage and not really doing much besides trying to find the right hand. He still does do that sometimes, but he's making it work now. He's he's really made his weakness a strength. But for some guys like a Stephen Thompson, so he doesn't get stuck, or guys like Roy McDonald before, or maybe if you fight someone else who just keeps him on the cage and just picks at him without committing too much, again, finding more options. Because just sitting on the back of the cage, leaving himself there, and purposely putting himself in those positions, and just looking for those right hands, those right hooks, I still see it as a flaw, to be honest. But other than that, Tyron Woodley is very well-rounded. Khabib, Khabib has to learn how to fight backwards sometimes because when he gets pressured, he is not the same fighter. He just isn't. He doesn't attempt takedowns the same. He doesn't react to punches the same. Sometimes it looks like he panics like he did against Ally Quinta. He uses his feet very well, but defending shots and landing some counter shots as well as takedowns and stuff is going to be, uh, should be some benefits for him to work on. Khabib does a lot of things right especially when it comes to the grappling and the wrestling. But in the striking, he does have holes. He does drop his jab too much. Now, he's not getting caught for this stuff, but I could see people catching him. He focuses on his right side for defense more than he does on his left side. Max Holloway's biggest flaw might be leg kick defense. Other than that, his striking is so good. His wrestling is so good. His takedown defense is amazing. His BJJ is amazing. I think just leg kick defense is the biggest flaw. TJ Dillashaw... Just more fundamentals, man, because there's a lot of flavor, there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of crazy movement and stuff that aren't really based on fundamentals. And when he gets caught in an uncomfortable position, those are the moments when fundamentals are going to save him. And like against Henry Cejudo, they just weren't there, right? Even like when he came in with that big right overhand like he caught Henry Barral with and he threw it at Henry Cejudo and missed, he got pushed back and almost ate a kick to the face because he kind of stood straight up instead of scooting away as well as standing. And then he started moving to his right and he just tried to duck under the punch. He didn't really try to block the punch effectively. And for Henry Cejudo, it's kind of hard to say. I think some clinch work, the Muay Thai clinch seems to be a bit of a problem for him. But he's reinvented his game so much, it's kind of hard to see the biggest openings on him. I have to look back at his Sergio Pettis fight, because that's where he probably had the biggest openings, at least on the feet. His wrestling is impeccable. I mean, there's nobody really challenging him there. And even with guys like Wilson Hayes, there really isn't anything to see there. So looking at Joseph Benavidez's fight and the Demetrius Johnson fight, he's changed so much from those fights, it's hard to really see his biggest flaw. And for Amanda Nunes... She lingers her punches a little bit too much. When people strike at her, they're able to get combinations off on her if they're able to evade those big shots or just one big shot because she overextends on her punches sometimes. That was what Valentina Shevchenko was able to do a couple times. But the problem with that is she makes up for it with her distance, with her footwork. But if fighters are able to get in on her and get in with a jab or something, duck under one of those big shots or block it, they're able to get a couple punches off before she's able to follow up. A style that will give Amanda Nunes a lot of problems is someone like a Nick Diaz, right? Someone who's able to walk her down, block the shots, deflect them, not take full damage, even if they get through, and counter behind them with volume. That would be a very tough fight for her because she's like very similar to a Conor McGregor in a way. She moves a lot, a lot of explosive movement, a lot of explosive footwork to get out of range, keep distance on the opponent so she can land her explosive punches to make the opponent pay instead of things like flicking her punches out, setting things up a little bit more before committing. So if someone's able to walk her down backwards with tight boxing, good leg kicking defense, as well as being capable in the clinch in case she tries to clinch up with you to take you to the ground, it's going to give someone like Nunes a lot of problems. So instead of committing fully in her punches, she has to pick her shots a lot more as well as setting up things without full power. Valentina Shevchenko is pretty much perfect. I mean, she leans and pulls a little bit too much. But other than that, I mean, what else can you say? Rose Namajunas has to do a lot better defensively in the pocket, as well as in the clinch. She kind of freezes at times. At a distance, there's nobody beating her. But in that close range, man, it's going to be tougher against everybody. She tries to compensate it with her footwork to get away and her really crisp boxing. She's very fast offensively with her hands. But defensively, if people are able to get off on her with some punches and get in close, she kind of doesn't know what to do sometimes. It's almost like she's questioning herself. But definitely she has froze before in her fights because of it. JT12, do you see age affecting Tony Ferguson faster than T-Wood? He's 36 this year, yeah. He's taking a lot more damage than T-Wood has. His body's been through so much. I think Tony's age is going to start taking effect soon. That's what disappoints me and it makes me a little bit frustrated about this whole thing with him. 
because I don't want to see a weathered, older Tony Ferguson fighting Khabib. That's like the saddest thing in the world. And last one on YouTube. I just didn't lose at UDF, though. What do you think of Israel Adesanya's performance against Anderson Silva? Lots of people seem to be unimpressed. Here's the thing, man. I don't know what people are talking about. I was very impressed with Adesanya because there was nothing Silva could really do. He caught him a couple jabs, but Adesanya was in control if you look back at it. He was in complete control. I know a lot of people live were saying, you know, Silva did really well and Adesanya didn't seem the same. He got exposed a bit. I even seen some analysts and uh, other guys in the sport say that. When I watched it live, I saw something completely different. Now it seems a lot of people are sharing the same thought. What is Adesanya known for? He is not known to chase a finish. So people are like, he didn't finish Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's old now, right? Yeah, but that's not in Adesanya's character. Why would he ever put himself in that risk? Because Silva is still Silva. Technique and all that stuff is still there. He's still powerful. Power is the last thing to go. If he goes out there and tries to put it on Silva and finish him, something Adesanya never does. Never. Even if he stuns the opponent badly, he's not going for the kill in the way a lot of people would. You know, he's not going to put himself in that kind of risk against a guy like Silva, especially. So what finish is he chasing? He didn't even, he didn't even stun Silva. So why would he go out there and start exposing himself, which is something very uncharacteristic if he ever did it, just like that? There were a couple moments he was pressuring Silva and was able to land some shots, but Adesanya is a surgeon when he fights. He picks at you, picks at you until you can't take it anymore. That's how he finishes opponents. He doesn't go out there winging punches, hoping for a knockout, all that stuff. I don't know why people thought that was going to happen. You got to know Adesanya's game. I'm not saying you specifically, but the people are arguing that Adesanya was unimpressive because he didn't go out there and finish Silva when he probably could have. He just stuck to what he does, and it worked. He was in complete control. He barely got caught that much in the fight. He was catching Silva at bay. He was beating Silva exactly what I was saying in my prediction video. He was beating Silva at the distance work. That is exactly what he was going to do. That is why in my prediction, I even predicted Adesanya was going to win by a decision. Right? I didn't expect Adesanya to knock out Anderson Silva because it's not what he does. And Silva, he is still technical. He's still skilled. Yes, he's a little bit slower, but he still has good defense technique-wise. Very good technical defenses. Knows distance work, all that sort of stuff. He didn't age like a lot of these other guys did. Because Silva, for most of his career, he didn't take that much damage. He got knocked out by Chris Lyman. He got caught a couple times by Michael Bisping. He's taken less damage than a lot of guys. Yes, the Chill Sonnen fight is, you know, that's out there. But you look at guys like Dan Henderson or Shogun Hua, who isn't even Silva's age, uh, Mark Hunt, you know, these guys have taken a lot more damage than Silva has. So people thought that Silva is that much out of it like these other guys. He really isn't, though. He really isn't. He's slower. That showed his reflexes weren't there like they used to be, but they were still there to be respected and not disrespected by trying to blow right through him with the with these, I don't know what Adesanya was going to do to finish him off the bat like that. So I thought Adesanya had a great performance and he didn't get out of his game plan. And that actually shows growth. It shows experience and it's promising because it doesn't matter who he's facing. He's going to do what he does. That's what it showed to me. He's not going to get overzealous and try to finish this older guy. No, he's going to fight him the way he fights everybody. And it proved true. When Adesanya said, I am preparing for the best Anderson Silva. People say that all the time when they're fighting an older fighter or something or someone's coming off an injury. And then in the fight, they don't do that. They don't fight how they usually do. They probably chase a finish or something. Adesanya literally fought Silva like he was expecting the best Anderson Silva to ever appear. That is why he was in complete control, because him preparing for that Silva, he is going to fight his best fight, period. And his best fight is not going out there to try to chase a finish. So, I love that. I love the performance from Adesanya. He looked great, great technique, in control, distance work was on point, all that stuff. So, I, I disagree with the people saying he was unimpressive. And then let's go to the Twitter questions. Shannon R at PlayUpPapapa. Hey Weasel, I got in an argument with a friend about Bader's hook jab that knocked out Fedor. Do you think that punch could stun someone in general or was it only effective against because Fedor's chin was gone? Thanks for the great content. Well, thank you for the question, man. Now, in that fight specifically, because Fedor got dropped so, so suddenly and easily, I think Fedor's chin had something to do with that, of course. But yes, that punch can knock down a lot of people. And it's not because of the power. It's not because of the force behind it. Even though it is because it is an explosive punch. You're pretty much throwing your whole body behind that punch. Sometimes the way you throw it. But it's the speed as well as the unexpected factor. That punch is so quick. It's coming from such a weird angle. You can knock out a lot of people with it. You don't have, It doesn't have to be the hardest punch. It doesn't have to be the most powerful thing. You don't have to swing your limbs to knock someone out. right? Even jabs drop people. 
Remember when Donald Cerrone dropped Edson Barboza with a jab? That probably blew a lot of people's minds because it wasn't powerful. It was just very snappy and quick and caught Barboza completely unexpected and dropped him. This, from a heavyweight, throwing it at that angle, that punch, that quickly, even catching King Mo with the same punch, who isn't as chinny as Fedor is, Yes, you can drop anybody with. Catches you unexpected and the punches you don't see are the ones that hurt the most. They don't have to be that powerful. Chris again at MRFIFN. Do you think Aldo would have a chance at least maybe 40% beating Max in a third fight? No. Max has his number. It's just a bad stylistic matchup, man. He just smothers him every time. That's the one guy that Aldo just... I just can't see him beating at featherweight. Fighting Holloway 10 times, I think Aldo would probably win once or twice. Twice is kind of pushing it, to be honest. Kiwi 104 at Kiwi 104 for I understand Connor's knee from the bottom against Khabib was illegal, but why is that a rule? Yeah, I agree, man. A knee to the bottom is far less damaging than a flush Muay Thai knee standing. It'd also be another tool to counter grapplers just laying on you. Why not give fighters another tool on the ground against wrestlers? To me, it makes those exchanges a lot more interesting and competitive. Just seems like a silly rule. Thanks, man. Worst case scenario, wrestlers have to change their position slightly. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. If you are kneeing like that, why is it really illegal? You can't really generate that much force like that. So, now kicking, I could kind of understand, but in my case, I actually want kicks off the bottom to be legal no matter where you are. So, like Brennan Vera's upkick on John Jones, I think that should be legal. It can be damaging, but there's a lot more damaging stuff that can be thrown out there. And you're on your back, right? You're at a disadvantage theoretically so yeah i think the knee should be legal i mean it does give wrestlers a lot more to worry about from strikers so even when it gets on the ground there are strikes on the bottom from the striker that can give wrestlers something to worry about and yeah they would have to change their position so if they get into north south or side control there are those knees that could come up at them so the side control is not going to be as dominant but then again if you're in their guard if you're in half guard or in mount or have their back this weapon is not even used. It can't be used. So it's not that big of a rule to take out. Um, best stand-up style? There really isn't. There's no such thing as a best style. There's no such thing as a best martial art or none of that. And then we go to the weasel never answers me at the goon balloon. Why do fighters rarely ever go for submissions after dropping someone and instead go crazy looking for a KO, risking the opponent recovering? Wouldn't it be easier to look for a submission on someone who has just been dropped? Yeah, sometimes. Depends who you're fighting, of course. If you're fighting like Frank Mir or Brian Ortega, you probably shouldn't be going for them. But usually, submission is going to be a lot easier to get on someone who has been concussed or or just hurt. And we've seen examples of that, like Hinato Moicano versus Cub Swanson, Donald Cerrone versus Edson Barboza. I mean, we've seen some examples of that. People getting dropped, and then they were able to get easy submissions because your cognitive function is all out of whack. And when it comes to defending submissions, you really have to think and know where your position is and all that sort of stuff. And when you can't process the position or the situation you're in, your defense is going to be also out of whack. And we've seen it many times, right? Someone drops his opponent. He gets on top of him. Let's say his opponent starts shripping on him. And there's an easy dar stroke, maybe a brabble choke you can get on them. But instead of doing that, they're pushing their head down and like trying to elbow them. Then they recover after able to eat some shots, of course, but also they're just covering up. They have their arms up to their head and they're able to cover up enough to the point where they're recovering and relying on their instincts, especially if it's a wrestler. They start going for the single leg, going for the double leg. And now you try to land all this ground and pound where you probably don't have any room to throw them anymore because they're attempting takedowns on you. You wasted a lot of time where you could have probably just gotten this easy submission on them. So it's case by case, of course. But yeah, going for submissions will be a lot easier after dropping an opponent. Dan Reme is the signing of Antonino Shevchenko against Roxanne Mataferi too much too soon for Shevchenko to be against a serious top 10 opponent. Yeah, it's a tough fight for her. It is to test her though, so... People have a lot of expectations for Shevchenko. And fighting someone like Mata Ferry is really going to test her. I think Mata Ferry is going to win, though. I think her wrestling and her grappling is too much. And Shevchenko really gasses out. That's going to be tougher. Martin Kamara. I want to get back into BJJ. Used to do it like five years ago. I'm 20 now. But also want to start Muay Thai too. Would you recommend doing both at the same time or practice one for a while and add the other? Um, It depends what you want to do. If you just want to train, you want to do both of them, right? So just do both of them. But in terms of learning... Yeah, I'd say do both because you used to do BJJ, so you probably still know a little bit about it and learn Muay Thai on the side. You're going to be doing the basics in Muay Thai. You're going to be learning the regular stuff. You're going to catch those pretty easily probably. Um, If it was me, I would do both. It'd be fun too. 
at pan underscore log. After watching Connor's sparring videos plus Habib fight, Connor's style has changed a lot. He has limited his usual movement and he keeps his hands high. What are your thoughts? My first guess is he's trying to fix his cardio or he isn't training with Ido Portal anymore. I've said this before. The best Conor McGregor we have ever seen was against Jose Aldo and Eddie Alvarez. That was the best Conor I've ever seen. He had his footwork. He was so fast. He was light on his feet. He had that karate stance, you know, very elusive, very quick with his hands, very precise. And then something happened in the first Nate Diaz fight and after. He became a lot more plotting. And against a guy like Nate Diaz, he started gassing out a little bit. But even before that, he was trying to walk down Diaz. I don't know what it was. And then he fought Floyd Mayweather. And even though he was trying to be elusive like he usually is, it just didn't look the same. He isn't that light on his feet like he used to be. And then the Habib fight, I mean, that guy was, I mean, he was pretty much just walking at him. We see the sparring video, and he's doing the same thing he did in the Habib fight. Now, he obviously can be just trying things. He could be tired. He might have had a killer workout before that. We don't know. But there are some correlations with his last fight. I don't know what it is, man. I don't know what it is. I would love to see the old Conor back, the one that fought Jose Aldo, the one that fought Eddie Alvarez, the one that fought in the featherweight division, the one that fought Max Holloway the first time, you know. Conor's style in those fights is what really gravitated people because it was so different. It was like this karate stance, this karate movement, a little bit mixed with Taekwondo and boxing and left-handed heavy and very precise with his hands and stuff. And then it kind of changed. I don't know if it has to do with something with Ido Portel. Does he even train with him anymore? I have no idea. It's hard to get a read on Conor McGregor these days because there's a lot going on around him. He has money now, so it might be a lack of motivation, and that's very much understandable. I mean, you can only do something you love so much until you start hating it, or you start not having the motivation you used to have. And he always did say, get in, get money, get out. And he already completed the first two steps in that. Now, not wanting to be an armchair psychologist or anything, but I don't know if my, my major in psychology has anything to do with it, but just from what I see, given a little bit of psychoanalysis, for some reason, looking at it from the outside, it looks like he's almost forcing himself to stay in the game. It's almost like, yeah, the motivation he's showing in his Instagram posts and the sparring videos he's putting out, he put out another one with Dylan Dennis and uh, his captions and stuff, it almost looks forced to me a little bit. Yeah, he's going to enjoy training and stuff. I can obviously be wrong. But it almost looks like false motivation. And some of the comments from John Cavanaugh too, stuff about he didn't want to train Connor if it's not going to be a meaningful fight. You know, this it questions a lot of the motivation going on over there. I don't know. We have to see in this next fight if it's Don Sorrowing or something. And we'll see how much the sparring videos correlate. In his sparring video, it's almost like he took like a traditional boxing approach. And that is just, it just doesn't seem to fit him. It almost looks like he's trying it out. That's what it seemed like. And him trying to fix his cardio, listen, I mean, sometimes going out and trying to knock the guy out in the first two rounds is the better game plan to go by. It depends on the opponent. He can't really expect him beating guys like Habib or Tony Ferguson or something in the later rounds. That's just, you're playing an uphill battle at that point. He's going to be at an advantage in the early rounds. Normal guy Mike at Mad Mike the THB. But it begs the question, Ngannou versus Cormier. I think Cormier wins. He cannot get caught the way Kane did. He has to know when to get in. But the thing about Cormier is he's a lot more methodical than Kane is. He's always been. Always been. He knows when to get in. He loves to trap the hands and find his way in through that. The dangerous thing is, how are you going to get in that close on Nganu? You cannot walk in on Nganu like that. You can't just casually walk in the way he does to everybody else. And the fact that he leans to his right on everything, there is a left uppercut Nganu is known for. So, And it's a long-range uppercut. So... Ngannou can definitely win, but Cormier should win the fight. He should be able to find his way in. It's going to be through game planning, man. He has to do something different. He has to walk down Ngannou a little bit, be very, very defensive, but pressuring at the same time, and try to find that single leg and work with that. Eventually, try to get Ngannou to the ground. Even if he can't get him down in the first round, he has to make Ngannou work, and through that, he'll be able to gas him out and beat him up. I think Cormier should win. Kevin Simmons at Kchunk29, do you think Tyron Woodley has changed since he became champion? Not so much his fighting style, but his personality. At one point, he was talking about money fights, UFC being racist, and to moving up to middleweight. Yeah, he said that he stopped fighting with the UFC because it got him nowhere. It was actually doing him harm more than good. So he's just trying to find his way inside the sport, inside of the rules, and without fighting and creating conflict. Lobo Mao at T-Wolves Mill Grout. You've said before that a heavyweight's chin isn't much better than a smaller guy's. That being said, are there any chances Max Holloway has a Mark Hunt-level chin because of his Samoan descent and he can eat anything a featherweight can throw at him? Yeah, um, he's pretty much eating everything. 
pretty much. I mean, just a left hook that he didn't see coming from Jose Aldo caught him clean because of the speed that it came at him. But he's the only guy Conor McGregor just couldn't hurt. Like, hit him with everything. So, is it as good as Mark Hunt's in his prime? Probably not. Mark Hunt's chin is legendary. Mark Hunt's chin has dwindled. But the thing about Holloway in comparison to Mark Hunt is Mark Hunt doesn't really cut that much weight, I think. And even if he's cutting weight, him being a heavyweight, the percentage of weight he's losing isn't what Max is losing. Max cuts a lot of weight. So his chin is already a disadvantage compared to guys in the heavyweight division or something. They can't take a punch after dehydrating themselves that bad. So I think Max Holloway at the lightweight division, and even if he fights at welterweight in the future or something, you'll be able to see him take punches even better than he is now. But then again, he is fighting guys who hit harder, so it might level itself out. So yeah, guys, that's the podcast. I'm glad to come back after a little bit. What, three? Was it been three weeks since my last podcast? I'm going to make them a little bit more regular, but instead of doing them weekly, they still might come out weekly, but I think I should make them bi-weekly. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, make sure to give it a like, and make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't done so. And my next video is probably going to be the prediction video for UFC 235 this weekend. It's an insane card, guys. I mean, we got John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Tyron Woodley versus Kamar Usman. We got Zabit versus Jeremy Stevens. Robbie Lawler fighting Ben Askren. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Misha Serkunov versus Johnny Walker. I forgot Johnny Walker's on this card, man. That guy's crazy. Cody Stamen versus Alejandro Perez is a good fight. Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall is an interesting fight. And that's actually starting the prelims, that one right there. So interesting card. And Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit is actually going to headline the ESPN prelims. So that's going to be that's gonna be a fun one, man. I cannot wait for this card. It's one of the better cards of the year. Probably the best card of the year so far. And yeah, I can't wait to get the prediction video on that. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.